0: Welcome to The Gangster, book six in the Galactic Football League series, written and performed by Scott Sigler. The Gangster is suitable for ages 12 and up and contains graphic violence. The Gangster is also available as a signed, numbered, limited edition hardcover while supplies last. To order, go to scottsigler.com store. Hello junkies. Oh my goodness, can you believe that we are 2 months into this podcast? 8 episodes, 8 weeks. 8 weeks equals 2 months. I can do the time math, you guys. I can. A reminder that The Gangster full-length audiobook has been submitted to Audible, where it is now going through Audible's grueling QA process and uh they're they're a bit behind due to COVID issues. So, we don't have a release date for the full book yet. But we will very, very soon, and we will let you know. The United States of America swore in a new president, Joe Biden, and a new vice president, Kamala Harris. We are happy to see the inauguration went off without a hitch. Another peaceful transition of power in America. And at the end of the day, that's always a good thing. The gangster hardcover and ebooks are also in production. We don't have release dates for those yet, but it won't be long now. Thank you for your patience. In other GFL news... I have started recording the audiobook for The Stone Wolves. That is a GFL novella, with the word novella in quotes. That is 143,800 words long. That is a 537-page book. Okay, the novella got away from me. That's not just a book, you guys. That is a big, turgid, swollen, girthy novel unto itself. Combined with The Gangster, that means you are getting... 310,000 words of new GFL stories in 2021. That is 1,164 pages, dropping some George R.R. R. Martin stuff on your faces. The Stone Wolves will be available as an audiobook, read by me, and also as an ebook. No print plans at this time. We will keep you informed. Hey, if you want to get texts to your phone, your magical phone, notifying you of new podcast episodes, story smacks, Sigler in Place live streams, and more news from the world of the Siglerverse, throw a text to 619-304-2928. You'll get an automated reply which will sound a lot like me because I wrote it, but it's not me in real time. This is not my real number. This is a service called Community, and lots of big stars are using it, or in my case, uh, one very short star. That is 619-304-2928. Get at it. Last thing is your reviews of Mount Fitzroy on Audible are rocking. Now over 1,100 reviews and counting with a 4.9-star average Thank you if you rated and reviewed. A reminder that Mount Fitzroy is only available as an audiobook on Audible until December 3rd, 2021. And another reminder that if you don't already have the Audible service and you want the book for free, you can get it free as part of a no-risk 30-day trial of the Audible service. Go to scottsigler.com slash audible to learn how. That is it for my jibber jab this week. Let's get caught up on the story so far, and then episode number eight can be all up in your face. Previously on The Gangster. In book five, The Champion, Doc Patat told Quentin the nerve damage to his throwing arm was too severe to be repaired and that his gridiron career was over. Quentin threatened Patat to keep that information secret so that Greedock the Splithead would not find out. Quentin later talked to GFL Chief Surgeon Doc Ganagati, who said Quentin had one chance to repair his arm, an experimental procedure that can only be done at Ganagati Sports Medicine Clinic in New York City on Earth. As Becca, Quentin, Fred, and Shoto drink a toast to their fallen coach, Hokor the Hookchest, the quartet prepares for that trip to the Sol system.
1: That's not just any
2: egg cream, that's a Lemke special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind.
3: This is the story of Harry Dallowance and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream.
2: So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Shamblazing. The Hypatia remained docked in the regulator's landing bay. Quentin, Becca and Choto relaxed in the yacht's salon. Fred was on the bridge, making a flight plan for the trip to Earth. Quentin and Becca were on the leather couch, their feet up on the coffee table. The table, made of some rare wood from Earth, was worth more than Quentin could have made in a decade as a miner on McCovey, but after years of use, it was just another piece of furniture. He drank his favorite beverage, a Miller lager, while she opted for some fancy swill that smelled of oranges. Becca had changed the content of the holo frames on the wall. Instead of showing prized artwork from across the galaxy, they silently played clips of Hokor. Interviews on sports media, shots from the sidelines, the little leader being raised high in his player's shoulders after huge victories. Chodo reclined in the wide chair custom-made for his dimensions. He'd washed off his blue paint. He drank a gin and orifice blood, his fourth by Quentin's count. Chodo ate from a bowl of smelly, greasy things that Quentin could only assume were worms, or maybe some kind of quith snakes, or intestines.
3: I am so impressed you met the Lord Governor,
0: the warrior said, his speech slurring.
3: That is, what is the English phrase? Shamblazing.
0: Close, Becca said. I think you mean amazing. Quentin shook his head. I like Chodo's word better.
3: Thank you, Shammacath.
0: Chodo said. His eyes swirled with mismatched colors.
3: Oh, Shamacath and Amazing make sham blazing.
0: Becca laughed. Quentin smiled. It was rare to see Chodo act like anything other than an all business linebacker or an all business bodyguard. Chodo, Quentin said. Please remember, I don't want you to call me Shamakath, all right? The warrior lifted a greasy worm thing. Quentin realized it was still twitching.
3: As you say, Quentin.
0: Chodo dangled the worm over his head, let it slide into his vertical mouth. Becca made a face. I love you, Chodo, but that's gross. How
3: can you eat that?
0: The warrior's single eye blinked slowly.
3: I might ask the same about human food. For example, the melted kernel dairy product miasma you sentience called pizza. Disgusting.
0: Becca laughed again delighted. You can't remember the word amazing, but you can properly pronounce a word like miasma? You're so fun when you're crocked. Her laugh was music to Quentin's ears. So much stress and sadness over the past few days. It felt heavenly to do nothing at all, to simply relax. Quentin knew he would continue to grieve Hokor's loss. Sandoval hadn't acted on his own. Someone hired him. Quentin wanted to find out who that someone was, bring that sentient or sentience to justice. For now, though, it was time to enjoy the loved ones who remained alive, not dwell in the absence of those who had died. And he did have reason to celebrate. He was engaged. He and Becca hadn't set a date or anything. That would come later. Just knowing he would spend his days with her, it made sadness far easier to bear. She had helped him so much during the solidity ceremony, and she wasn't the only one. I appreciate your support today, Chodo, Quentin said.
3: Thank you. I would do anything for you. She'll blame a calf.
0: That gin and orifice blood was powerful stuff. Quentin rested his head against Becca's shoulder. Thank you for being there for me, B. Always, she said. She kissed him, a soft, tender kiss that made him forget everything else. I'd tell y'all to get a room, Fred said, but seeing as you own the ship, I guess you can do whatever you want. He stood in the open hatch, smiling, leaning against the frame. Frederico Esteban Gisipe Gonzaga, Quentin's sometime bodyguard, sometimes private investigator, sometimes friend, and sometimes, like now, yacht pilot. Fred wore his over-the-top captain's outfit, blazing white pants, white coat trimmed with gold braid, a white hat set at a rakish angle. y gave us a false ship registration, Fred said. We are now officially the Powerage, a pleasure craft registered in Australia. We punch out for OS-1 in 15 minutes, four days total to reach Earth. OS-1? Earth is only three and a half days away if we go the SADA route, Quinn said. Fred nodded. True, but the Hurrah Tribal Accord is blocking all pass-through traffic. Safer to go around, Sada. Hit OS-1, then from OS-1 to Quith, and we're back on the main route to Earth. Becca let out a low whistle of surprise. No pass-through traffic? She shook her head. Things must be getting worse between the Accord and the Cretoracians. Between the Bats and some of the Hurrah tribes, anyway, Fred said. The Kretorakians and the tribal accord worked together to put down the uprising on Sada, but those Hurrah independence movement goons didn't just go away and call it quits. The bats aren't good at navigating ships in gas giant atmospheres. Word is there might be four or even five rogue fleets hiding on Accord planets. Trust me, it's worth a half day of travel to avoid Sada right now. The Hurrah independence movement, an illegal group branded as terrorists by the Kretorakian empire. Kimberlin had wanted to set up a meeting between Quentin and the independence movement. Kimberlyn bought into Petra's ridiculous theory that Quentin was some kind of galactic unifier. Thoughts of Mike stirred anger and confusion inside of Quentin. For someone who was supposedly out of the guild, Big Mike seemed to have some pretty curious connections. Thanks, Fred, Quentin said. I'm sure your route is the proper way to go. Fred gave an exaggerated, comical salute. He adjusted the angle of his hat, clicked his heels, turned, and headed back to the bridge. Becca sipped her fruity beer. Her mood darkened. The laughter left her eyes. I feel like the universe is going crazy, she said. What if war breaks out between the Kretorakians and the Tribal Accord before the Abernese even get here? She talked as if the invasion fleet was a fact. It wasn't. The Abernessia had destroyed the Portath's home planet, yet the Portath who'd fled to the Milky Way didn't know the Abernessian fleet of a million warships was en route? If the Abernessian threat was real, why was Petra Prowat the only one who knew about it? The trouble between the Kretorakians, and a big chunk of the tribal accord, though, was very real. What if that spiraled out of control? If it did, a conflict like that would it would weaken both nations. Divide and conquer. A strategy that had worked many times across many cultures and systems. Could the Abernessia be driving the hostility between the Haran and the Kretorakians? If the Abernessia had truly infiltrated the guild, like Kimberlyn and Petra thought, could some of the guild's terrorist attacks not be meant to overthrow the bats, but rather to pit governments against each other? Quentin had stopped a potential war between the Prowat and the Sklorno dynasty, a conflict sparked by terrorist destruction of a space liner. Could the Guild have committed that attack at the behest of the Abernesians? Divide and conquer. Quentin realized with a start that he'd learned that phrase from Kimberlin during one of their many tutoring sessions. Big Mike had taught him so much. The ship's computer chimed a soft alert. The Hypatia will enter punch space in twenty seconds. Quentin stood, opened a cabinet, and pulled out the golden puke bucket the Tweedy brothers had given him years ago. Becca frowned.
2: You still need that? You've been doing so well lately.
0: I have, Quentin said. But, you know, with all that's gone on, being all emotional and stuff, better an empty bucket than a puke-stained couch. Chodo tipped his worm bowl over his mouth, catching the last few smelly drops of sauce. He set the bowl in his
3: lap. Quentin, you can do it, the warrior said. You can do anything, because you are sham-blazing.
0: The rancid smell of Chodo's food hit Quentin anew, just as reality shimmered around him, and the hypatia entered punch space. It turned out that, when it came to flying without throwing up at least— he wasn't quite so shamblazing, after all. Book Two Hunted The Good Doctor Time for a face-to-face with Doc Patah. Greedock walked through the corridors beneath the stands of Ionath Stadium. He could have used a card for the trip, but he needed the steps while far from old he wasn't getting any younger he spent too much time in his chamber sitting on his pedestal throne the sessile lifestyle and endless stream of exceptional food was beginning to make him feel sluggish so when he could he walked instead of rode took the stairs instead of elevators every bit of exercise helped even while in the kraken's complex greedock rarely traveled without protection byrack the mean and gristlehead the newly promoted Sklorno enforcer, walked behind him. While fans rarely saw these corridors, during the season they were heavily trafficked by staff, players, reporters, and GFL security personnel. With the season over, the place felt empty. Players and most staffers had left INF, taking advantage of the offseason to travel, to relax, or to return to their homeworlds. Doc Patah, however, stayed. Where else would he go? When the sentient now officially known as Tribal Surgeon Chapata, had lived under his real name, a name Gredak couldn't pronounce and didn't care to learn, he had served as a military medic of some sort. The warlord Yashahon's son died under his care. To the warlord, it didn't matter that the offspring had been badly wounded by someone else. Yashahon wanted Pata skinned alive. Hurrah and their flaying. Quite gruesome. When Greedock first met Pata, the Hurrah had been the fight doctor for undefeated intergalactic heavyweight champion Korak the Cutter. Greedock discovered Pata's true identity, then used the threat of Yashahon's vengeance to blackmail Pata into helping fix Korak's fight against Kyal the Heretic North. After the fight, Greedock continued to hold Yashahon over Pata's head, forcing Pata to abandon the fight game and become the Kraken's team physician. Pata slept with one sensory pit open, always on the lookout for the next Skinner that might come for him. On road games, Pata rarely ventured out of the opponent's stadium. When on Ionath, the doctor spent all of his time in his Kraken's building apartment, or in his medical facilities beneath the stands of Ionath Stadium. While in the Kraken's complex, Pata was safe. Safe from Yashahon, but not from Greedok, the Splithead. That morning, the Kraken's organization had received an encrypted message from Commissioner Frost via Data Express. Gotti's report on her exam of Barnes. Gotti listed the quarterback's injury status as inconclusive. More tests were needed. More time was needed. Time was not something Greedock had to give. Other owners were already courting free agents, already signing potential breakout stars from Tier 2 and Tier 3 teams. If Barnes's injury meant he could not lead the Krakens for the 26-87 season, Greedock needed to know now, not later. Pata and Ganagati did not know the extent of Barnes' injury. Greedock found that hard to believe. Pata knew more than he let on. Barnes, so arrogant, so insolent. If any other underling had treated Greedock the way Barnes had, that underling would already be dead. That underling's fate would be an example to others. Beware of hubris, of disobedience, of disrespect. But Barnes wasn't like Greedock's other underlings. He wasn't a banker or a lieutenant or an enforcer, someone who could be replaced. Barnes was quite possibly the best quarterback of all time. There was no replacement for him. Such talent did not make Greedock forgive transgressions, but it did make him patient. Barnes wasn't the first to challenge Greedock's status. Others who had been stupid enough to do so were long since dead. Except in one special case, where the offender had been turned into an armless, legless, mute slug that could do nothing but watch his family members endure decades of suffering. That sentient, Jutan the Deceiver had dared to think he could pull off a coup d'etat by killing Greedock and taking over the organization. Jutan was still paying for that error in judgment and would continue to do so for as long as doctors could keep him alive. When Greedock reached Pata's office, he didn't bother knocking or announcing his presence. He had Virak use a master pass card to open the door. Greedock stepped in, followed by Gristlehead and Virak. Patah was floating above his desk, surrounded by projected images of various player injuries. At the sight of his employer, the hurrah waved a mouth flap. The images vanished. Greedock, welcome, Pata said.
4: How may I be of service?
0: If the doctor was surprised by the visit, he didn't show it. As a GFL team physician, Pata provided care to several species. His office had furniture to accommodate them all. Large chairs for heavy G, warriors and big humans, long couches for key, big bouncy balls, preferred by the vile sclorno.
2: Good morning, Doctor,
0: Greedock said.
2: I have need of your expert opinion.
0: Pata's mouth flap gestured to a chair off to the side, a chair specially made for quith leader proportions. Like all offices in the Kraken's organization, there was always a comfortable spot saved for Greedock. Of course, Greedock. Patah said.
4: I am at your disposal.
0: The leader sat. Virak took a chair in front of Patah's desk. Gristlehead stood in the middle of the room, three eyestalks directed at Doc Pata. Her fourth eyestalk seemed to look into a corner. It was crooked, broken during a fight, but one could never tell. She wore the wrap robes favored by sclornal females, but the cloth was pink instead of black and left carelessly unwound in places. She was either sterile or she didn't give a damn if male Sclerno saw her exposed body. Maybe it was both. Where her clear carapace did show, dozens of scars looked like textured plastic embedded in smooth glass. She was terrifying, which made her perfect. Virac's advice had proven sound.
2: Dr. Pata Greedox said, you will now tell me the true status of my quarterback's arm. Will he be able to play in the upcoming season?
0: As a general rule, hurrah physiology didn't offer many physical tells. They had sensory pits as opposed to eyes, so there was no pupillary dilation or cornea colors that might show emotional states. The species had evolved to survive in a wide range of environments. Hurrah were invariably room temperature, which meant no significant changes in body heat that might reveal stress or anger. They did have one tell, however, one similar to humans. Pulse rate. A hurrah's gas filled body cavity slightly amplified each beat. If one knew what to listen for, a hurrah's pulse thumped as loud as a war drum. Only hurrah trained in managing their emotions could mask that physiological response. Pata was not trained. The instant Greedock asked his question, the doctor's heart rate increased. Was Pata loyal to Barnes the way so many Kraken's players seemed to be? Was Pata more loyal to Barnes than he was to Greedock? If so, the hurrah would find himself in a great deal of trouble. Barnes might not be replaceable, but this team doctor most assuredly was.
4: My information is second-hand, of
0: course, Pata said.
4: Dr. Ganagati reported that Quentin's collarbone is all but healed and will be stronger than it was before.
0: Pata didn't even mention Barnes's arm injury—
2: Not all tells
0: were physical in nature.
2: Doctor, I want to know about Barnes' shrapnel wound, the injury that prevented him from playing quarterback in the Galaxy Bowl, the injury that almost cost me a GFL title.
0: Pata said nothing. His heart rate increased. Greedock relaxed into the chair, enjoying the moment. No matter how this turned out, it was good news. Either Barnes would heal and lead the Krakens in the upcoming season, or he would no longer be of use. Greedock would benefit regardless. Financially if the first outcome, personally if the second.
2: I want the information now, in case you were assuming this was a request for which you could take as much time as you like.
0: His
4: arm, yes.
0: Bata's heart hammered.
4: Nerve damage like that is often slow to heal. It is possible, Barnes, we'll be ready for the season, though it is too early to say for certain.
0: Greedock stared at his team doctor, letting the silence build up. Greedock liked using silence as a lever, liked how it made sentience eventually open up. Pata, though, remained quiet.
2: Show me his scans,
0: the leader said,
2: and your notes as well.
0: Another heart rate increase. If this kept up, the team doctor might die before Greedock left the office. Bata's fear of the warlord Yashohan was a powerful thing.
4: I'm sorry, Greedock, the hurrah said. Those records are private medical information. They fall under doctor-client privilege. I would show you if I could, Greedock, but— Enough of this! Greedock
0: hopped out of the chair. Gristlehead. The pink-clad Sklorno stepped forward, gently gripped Greedock with her tentacles, Lifted him and placed him atop Bata's desk. Virak usually helped Greedak with such things, but Quith warriors were not known to eat hurrah when the opportunity presented itself. Greedak stood face to face with the doctor, one softball sized eye only centimeters from Bata's sensory pits.
2: I own Barnes,
0: the leader said.
2: I own you. It bothers me that you will not tell me the truth. Did you promise Barnes you would keep this information for me? Did he pay you to be disloyal?
0: Doc Pata's hollow body began to tremble. This reaction, it wasn't the same as the last time Greedock had threatened the hurrah. Something different about it. Pata feared Greedock, but this was something else. Then the leader understood. Patah was afraid of Yashahone and of Greedock, But he was even more afraid of Barnes. Did wonders never cease?
2: Perhaps this is about more than money, Greedock said. Perhaps Barnes threatened you?
0: Pata said nothing. This time, the silence was an answer in itself.
2: This puts you in a precarious situation, Greedock said. You seem to be beset on all sides. I should inform you that some threats are more valid than others. Need I remind you of a certain warlord who would love to know your whereabouts?
0: Heartbeat, thumping, pounding. Please, Pata said.
4: I. Greedock, please, this is. Please.
2: While I sympathize with your untenable situation, Doctor, you must decide who is a greater threat Barnes or Yashahone. If the latter learns you are here in Ainath, I imagine many Skinners will come for you. And this time. I will not be able to keep you safe.
0: Greedock took a half-step closer. He smelled something, very faint, a new scent that he mentally filed away as hurrah fear.
2: Decide, doctor, now.
0: Pata trembled anew. The hurrah turned slightly, seemed to be looking not at Greedock, but rather at Virak.
3: Answer him, or I will. Virak, Greedock said.
2: Did I ask you to speak?
3: No, Shamikath.
2: Then do not.
0: Greedock reached out his petty palp hands, gently rotated the hovering hurrah, so that the two sentients were again face to face.
2: Tell me, Doctor, what did Barnes say to you?
0: Bata hesitated, but Greedock knew the hurrah would talk. Greedock always knew.
4: He, yes, he threatened me,
0: the doctor said.
4: He told me not to tell anyone the full extent of his injury. He said, "'Cross me, and I'll kill you.'"
0: Greedock released Pata. The leader adjusted the bracelets on his left middle arm. The metal made soft, metallic clinking sounds.
2: "'Tell me the truth about his injury,' Greedock said. "'As long as you remain in my favor, Doctor, I will keep you safe from Yashahone and from Barnes.'"
0: The hurrah's heart rate finally dropped a few beats. Patah rotated in place, this time toward the door, perhaps wondering about making a run for it. But where could he go? Without Greedox's protection, the doctor knew that, very soon, a hurrah skinner would slowly peel the flesh from his hollow body.
4: I believe that Barnes will never again throw with great accuracy, Patah said. I... I believe that he is finished as a quarterback. Redox's own heart rate spiked. He controlled it
0: instantly, forcing it back to normal.
2: Can the damage be repaired?
4: I do not think so, Ptas said. I was a fight doctor for decades. I know about nerve damage. Quentin's is quite bad. His grip strength is weakened. He will feel pain when he throws. There is no known surgery that can repair him. Terrible
0: news. Glorious news. Where Barnes was concerned, there were always mixed emotions. To lose the best quarterback of all time? A tragedy. But if Barnes was of no use to the Krakens? He had damaged the team's loyalty to Greedock. He had known about Jonathan Sandoval's mods and had said nothing. Because of that, Hocor the hook chest was dead. Quentin Barnes had much to answer for.
2: "'Thank you, Doctor,'
0: Greedock said.
2: "'I assure you that our conversation will remain between us. Do you understand?'
4: "'Yes, Shemacath. I understand.'
0: Greedock stepped to the edge of the desk. Gristlehead helped him down. Scarred, broken, large for her species, she was truly hideous. The leader left the office, Gristlehead had Virak in tow. The offseason would be busy indeed. You have been listening to The Gangster, book six in the Galactic Football League series, written and narrated by Scott Sigler. Follow Scott on Instagram and Twitter, where he is at Scott Ziegler, one word, and on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Scott Ziegler. For more information on the Galactic Football League series and for more free audiobook podcasts, visit ScottZiegler.com. The Gangster was directed by A. Sigler, engineered by Steve Rickyberg, copyright 2020, Empty Set Entertainment. Theme music is the song They're Watching Me by the band Super Weapon.